Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. I'm excited about today's message. I'm loving this series, Gifts from the Holy Spirit. And today I want to talk about one body. The word says that Christ is the head of his body, the church. And we are the body, and he is the head. And, and so when we think about the body, our head is what drives what we do, our actions, our thoughts, and all of, all of those kinds of things. So today I want to talk about one body, that we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And my first point is, uh, well, let me say this first. A healthy church will operate in unity. And the Bible talks a lot about unity, about us operating in one accord and, and moving the same direction. You know our mission statement is to develop, maintain, a model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And then the vision or, or the goal from that is that we will be people of God that will impact the world with the love of Jesus Christ. And so God has given us a mandate and a mission specifically for our church. And so that is what we're called to do, to grow in our relationship with the, with the Lord. And I think that's really the mandate, should be the mandate of every church. And then, you know, the great commission in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all that he's taught us. And so we, we need to be operating as one body. So you have maybe the finger that's life fellowship, and then you have another part of the body that's a different church. But we're all operating in unity. And my first point this morning is prefer one another. I think that's where it begins, is that we begin to be selfless and, and more intent on allowing the head, Christ, to lead us in all things. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 10, Paul writes, Don't just pretend to love others. And I think that sometimes there's social pressure to, you know, we've all, probably all said this, oh, I love you. And do, do we really mean it? So, you know, we reciprocate. Somebody says, oh, I love you. And you say, oh, I love you too. And then you're going, well, I don't know if I really love you or not. And Paul is challenging the early church, and I think we need to be challenged. Don't just pretend to love one another. Really love them. And how can we do that? How can we really love other people? I think it's because we are to have the mind of Christ. He is the head of the church, and he loves, God. He loves us. God loves us, and so we are to have that same mindset. Paul goes on to, to say, uh, hate what is wrong. And we live in a culture where tolerance has, I think, caused us to tolerate things that are wrong. And the word says that we are to hate what is wrong. That's a strong word, hate what is wrong. We are to love the sinner, but hate the sin. The next, the next part of this verse is hold tightly to what is good. 
Ah, this is so good. But listen, here's the thing. If we're holding tightly to what is good, we can't be reaching out and grabbing hold of something bad. We need to hold tightly to what is good. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm glad you didn't call me up and you said, hey, your son is here. Yeah. <laughs> so we hold tightly to what is good, and we hate what is wrong. And there, there's a line in the sand where we need to say, I'm not crossing that line. And, and I think that, that could be a problem in the church today because, well, God is love, and so you should embrace this. You should accept this. You should tolerate this. There's a line where we say no. It's, it's not in accordance with God's purpose and plan and His Word, and I'm not going to acquiesce to the social pressure to say it's okay when it's not okay, when it's destroying people's lives. And, and so, verse 10 says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This Greek word for honor means to lead the way for others, to defer to. I'm kind of hungry for barbecue. What are you thinking? Oh, I like, I, I'd like some Chinese food. Okay, let's go have Chinese food. I really don't want Chinese food. I want barbecue. But... But can we defer to one another, to prefer one another? I mean, I'm ta- what we're talking about is not just words, but action. Where our heart is, is turned to defer to other people, to honor other people, to prefer other people. And, and hear me, I'm not talking about compromise, but I'm talking about loving one another genuinely. I, I've shared this example with you, so some of you have heard this before, but Pastor Christine and I were over the college and career at our home church for a season, and so we went on a retreat, and uh, at this, at this uh, place where we were at, there were other churches there, and, and they had like a common area, a common cafe area where everyone would come for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and so you would go through the line, and they would put the, the food on your tray, and then you go sit down and eat. And then when you're done, you would take your tray and utensils back to another area where they would take them back and wash the utensils and everything for the next meal. And so after the first meal, I, I took my tray up, and then I started getting some trays from some of the other people that had finished eating. Because, you know, after you finish eating, you're talking and you're sharing, and so I would take the trays. So... The next meal, um, one or two of the college and career, they, they came and they said, uh, are you done eating? And I'm like, yeah. And so they took my tray. And, and so it kind of started this whole thing where by the third meal, some of these guys were eating quickly so that they could serve one another. So whenever they would finish eating, they would be there and they'd say, may I take your tray? And then because there were other groups there, they weren't only serving and honoring the people in our group that were with us. They began serving some of the other groups. And so this, this little spark started a fire that they were excited. They were eating so that they could serve the, one another. And I think that's what the Word is talking about, that we honor one another. That we are looking outside of ourselves and what we need and what we want and what we desire 
And we begin to look beyond that and say, how can I honor them? How can I bless them? And I was at a pastor's conference, and it was kind of the same scenario. And I was finished eating, and and so I I began to pick up some of the, the trays from the other pastors. Because, look, we can set the example we shouldn't have to say, oh, look, I'm, I'm, may I honor you by taking your tray? No, let's just go out and live it. Let's just set the standard. And so back to Romans 12.10, love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring one another. If somebody came up and gave you a $100 bill, you would take delight in that. You would say, oh, this is delightful. And, and, and we know what that's like when we bless other people, right? It's a blessing to be able to bless someone and see the smile on their face. But we should take delight in honoring one another. Romans 12.10 in the New American Standard Bible says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Brotherly love. This, this Greek word is Philadelphia. So you've heard of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? So this word Philadelphia means to love like a brother. Specifically in the New Testament, it's the love of Christian to Christian. So when we're talking about love today, we're not talking about sexual or sensual or anything like that. We're talking about this kind of love where we love one another. So this this word Philadelphia is similar to I always pronounce it phileo, but now I have this software where it, it pronounces things in Greek, and it's not, it says it's not phileo, it says philao. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know what's right, but anyway. Uh, but this word philao means love like a friend or a brother. And then there's another word for love, and I always called it agapeo, and, and it says that it's apau. So I don't know, I don't know <laughs> how to pronounce it, but... It's a different word, and it means strong affection and loyalty for someone. And so I want to talk a little bit about a, a story that we're very familiar with, where we know that uh, before Jesus went to the cross, Peter said, you know what, I'll die for you. I'm there for you, Jesus. I'm loyal to you. And Jesus tells Peter, well, actually, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And so we know that story where uh, Peter does, in fact, deny Christ. They're like, oh, you were, you were with that, that Christ. You were with Jesus. Oh, no, I don't even know that man. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you were with him. I can tell by your accent. Oh, no, no, I don't even know that man. And then the third time, one count says that uh, Peter denies Jesus. The rooster crows, and Jesus looks at Peter. Can you imagine how Peter felt? And it says that Peter went off and he wept bitterly. But in John uh, 21, 15 through 17, and I'm not going to read this. I just want to recap this story because God showed me something through this that, that I think maybe he wants us all to see. So, you know, the guy, the, the Peter and the apostles are out fishing. And, uh, and Jesus shows up and he's on the shore and he is uh, he's making them some fish sandwiches. And so he, he, he yells out to the guys, hey, y'all catching any fish over there? And they're like, no, we can't catch anything over here. And he says, well, throw the nets on the other side of the boat. 
And Peter begins to realize that it's Jesus on the seashore, and he runs to meet Jesus. And then the discussion continues, and, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And, and, and Jesus is saying, do you love me with this apau love, this strong affection, loyal kind of love? And he's saying, Peter, do you love me with a loyal, strong affection? And Peter says, well, Jesus, I love you like a friend. I love you like a brother. And I can only imagine what was going through Peter's mind knowing what this word meant. It meant strong affection and loyal. And I, I can imagine that if I were Peter, I would be thinking, well, am I loyal to you? I just denied you three times. Jesus, I, I can't say that I love you that, like that, but I can say I love you like a brother. But listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, feed my lambs. He's not talking about giving them hay or, or you know, feed. He's talking about spiritually. And he's saying, feed those little tender ones, those babies. Because the word says that, you know, shame on us if we deceive little children. It's better that a, a, a millstone be hung around our neck and we be thrown into the sea. When we were in Israel, we saw what some of these millstones were like. Some of them are huge. But he, Jesus is telling Peter, feed my little baby tender lambs. And then Jesus asked him again, he said, do you love me with a strong affection and loyalty kind of love? And Peter says, well, I love you like a brother, Jesus. And then Jesus says, take care of my sheep. What are sheep? They're mature lambs, right? They're the older lambs. So he's told Peter, he said, feed my little tender lambs. And then he tells him the second time, he says, take care of my sheep. Take care of them. And then Jesus asked Peter the third time, Peter, do you love me? But he doesn't use the same uh, word about strong affection and loyalty. He says, do you love me like a brother? And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. I think what Peter was thinking is, okay, I see what you're doing here, Jesus. I see what you're doing. You're asking me if I love you with this strong affection and loyalty kind of love, and I can't go there. I can't just you know, say, yes, I love you with that kind of love. I'm being honest with you. And now, Jesus, you're coming down to my level. And you're saying, Peter, do you, you love me like a brother? You love me like a good friend? And I think that, you know, it says that Peter was saddened because I think that, that Peter wanted to say, oh, I love you with this uh, a pow love. Jesus, I, I, I want to tell you that I love you unconditionally, and I, I want to tell you that I love you with strong affection and, and have great loyalty but you know everything, Jesus. And you know that if I were to say that, it wouldn't be authentic. And, and Jesus tells Peter, he says, feed my sheep. There are so many lessons in this passage of Scripture And I think Jesus is saying, I think he would say to us, have you ever blown it? 
Have you ever blown it and think, okay, I've blown it now. It's over, Jesus. You can't use me. And Jesus is telling Peter, look, there's still hope for you. There's forgiveness. There's restoration. Go feed my little lambs. Go take care of my sheep. Go feed my sheep. It's not over, Peter. And I think the other thing that, that, that I want to share today, and the thing that I was getting from this was I was reflecting on this message, is Jesus desires, to have a strong, desires us to have a strong affection for him and for one another. He wants us to go beyond just the, the surface of loving Jesus like a brother or a friend, but to have this kind of love for him that's strong affection, that's loyal affection, I know that all of us have been hurt. I know that we've, we've loved people and given our hearts to people and been hurt. And, uh, but the risk is worth the reward. When I look around this room, I see people that I deeply love. That I think falls in this category of strong affection for and loyalty to. And I see people in this room that are looking back at me, and I know they feel the same about me. That's what Jesus is talking about. That we have that kind of love for one another. Not just a surface level. Are we willing to risk out and and maybe get hurt? Yeah, you may get hurt. But look at when you step out and you begin to open up and receive people, look at the the value and the level of love that you receive back that you're never going to experience if you're walled off. Romans 12, 9, don't just pretend to love one another. Really, 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 really love them. And I don't think we can do that without the transformation of God working in our hearts and lives. Because on, we're, on our own, we're selfish. We may not even like people, much less love them. Okay, I, I want to do something. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to repeat this prayer. It's not going to be a weird or funky prayer. Okay, just trust me in this. Just say, Lord, help me. Come on, say it again. Lord, help me. To love others like you love me and like you love others. Okay, you can open your eyes. God honors that prayer. I really know that because I've seen the change in my heart and in my life. And so as we begin to seriously see God and and honestly pray those kinds of prayers, it's in alignment with God's heart. That we would really love one another. What did Jesus say? They'll know you're my disciples by the things you do for them. He says, you know, you, they'll know that you're my disciples by the love that you share. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. So are we truly loving people? I've been in, in people's offices, you know, where, the, uh, where we're sharing or, or talking or whatever at, at work in a secular job. And the love of God is so strong there. It is just powerful. It's almost tangible. You can feel and sense the love of God in that place. 
And again, I'm not talking about some kind of sexual or sensual kind of love. I'm talking about this genuine, authentic love where God is present. And people are experiencing that on that level. There's great value and importance of close relationships, certainly with the Lord, with our church family, with other believers. How many, how many challenges, how many destroyed or damaged uh, family relationships could be avoided and healed if, 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 if we could just love one another, if we could humble ourselves and say, look, come on, there's a problem here. But, but my relationship is more valuable Our relationship is more valuable than just staying apart. Can we work this out? Am I willing to humble myself and say, look, what have I done? Look, I'm sorry for whatever I've done. And and talk about it with coworkers. Maybe you get crossways with a coworker, especially if they're a believer. We were designed to be in healthy relationships with the Lord and each other. Because we can be in unhealthy relationships. But the Lord desires that we're in healthy relationships with Him and each other. Life fellowship is a safe place. Real relationships here. Where we have made ourselves maybe vulnerable. At the risk of getting hurt. But then we have these real honest and authentic and genuine relationships. Life groups is a great place where you can continue to develop your relationships with the Lord and with one another because it's a place of safety. It's a place of confidentiality where you can share and you can say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a ta moment here. Because you know there are people there that love you. People are there that care about you. There are people there that want to be there for you and help you in any way that they can. So there's confidentiality, there's authenticity, there's honesty, there's vulnerability, there's fun. (laughs) We have fun in the life groups. There's relationship building with him and with one another. I want to talk about unity for a few minutes. Biblical unity is a state of being in oneness and in harmony, having unity in the faith. We're all, we all have different personalities. We, have, we all have different strategies, and uh, some are better than others. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, we have a common goal to, to be connected with the Heavenly Father through Jesus and, and to love one another and to go and make disciples and to encourage one another. So my first point is prefer one another. My second point is support one another. Pastor Christine mentioned this this morning, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Do we ever stop and think about, how, hey, how can I motivate someone that's a part of our family? into acts of love and good works. How can I motivate them? And the writer goes on to say, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. A church is not the same as it was pre-COVID. You know, people were drifting away from the church already. And then COVID happened and, and all the live stream sermons and things like that, 
you know, people will just stay at home. But it's not the same as coming together and actually hugging one another and, and being, uh, having conversation and just, just sharing. And so a lot of people are really missing out on that dynamic of the love that's being shared. Because you cannot share that love over the internet. <laughs> so let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. And we live stream, we have the videos archived so that the teachers, when they're teaching, they can come back and, and they're, uh, they're asked to watch the sermon so that they can stay in step with where we are. But there are people that are homebound. They can't come. And so this is their connection. And it's not as great as being here, but at least it's a connection. And so let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We don't know when the Lord's coming back, but my goodness. Look at what's happening in the world around us. Last week I talked a little bit about Corinthian. The, the Corinthian, uh, the city of Corinth. And, uh, you know, when I, when I look at what's going on in our world today, they had, they had a term uh, for the Corinthians. It was Corinthianize. And what that meant was to partake in sexual, immoral sexual acts. That was commonplace. And we see the confusion and the agendas today that are trying to, turn people away from God's design plan for all kinds of things, you know, and it's just crazy. But um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just look around the room for a couple of seconds. Look around the room. Okay. Now I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask Holy Spirit who he wants you to encourage to do good works. Maybe um, the Lord speaks to me. Sometimes I'll see somebody's face or maybe a name. So, Lord, who do you want us to encourage to do good works today? Place somebody on my heart right now. Okay, you can open your eyes. Did you get, did you get somebody? Yeah? No? Okay, we'll keep praying. <laughs> and maybe... Maybe that's a prayer that we should pray on a regular basis. Because, Lord, you've, you've placed me here on this earth. Okay, I've got a job to do Monday through Friday or whatever. But, you know, my life consists more of, of just showing up for work and doing this thing. How can I encourage somebody? How can I share the hope and the love of Christ? So let's, you know, maybe consider praying that prayer. 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul is showing Timothy, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. So we know that Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we're saved by grace through faith, not of our works, right? So it's not a performance-based salvation. But Paul is saying, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. What, what do you want me to do, Lord? And I want to do it with fervor. I want to do it with passion. I want to do it in accordance with your will. Because the, the word says that we, work, we should work as unto the Lord, not just our boss or whoever writes our check. But we should work hard to present ourselves to God and receive his approval. Lord God, is this what you want me to do? Are you pleased with this? Are you pleased with my, my life here? 
He goes on to say, uh, be a good worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Have you ever felt like, uh, well, I don't want to tell them a Christian that I don't want to tell these people I'm a Christian because then they're going to have an expectation and I'll, I'll have to act like one. <laughs> if they knew I was a Christian, they'd be saying, well, I thought you were a Christian. Why, why are you doing this? Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed. We should never be ashamed of who we are in Christ. We should never apologize for being a Christian, a follower of Christ. And we shouldn't have to tell people that we are. They should know. Because, like Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So we should not be ashamed and and we should correctly be able to explain the word of truth. So when you come here on Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is teaching you and training you and equipping you. And when you go to life groups, the same thing is happening there. So that we know the word. So that when we come into contact with people that don't know the word or have been taught the word in a twisted manner, we can say, well, wait, wait, this is what the word really says. Let's talk about this. But we can't teach and train other people if we don't know the word ourselves. Um, we're talking about unity. We're talking about, today, we're talking about one body. And imagine if, if one part of your body begins to rebel, it would be a problem. If your brain told your feet or your legs to walk and move, and they wouldn't do it, there's a problem there. And it could be a physical problem, you know, it could be a number of things. But your body would not be operating as designed if it wouldn't do what your, what your head was telling it to do. Huh. The body's not going to operate correctly if, if the body's not doing what the head Jesus tells us what to do. So there are two things that are enemies of unity. Uh, there are two things that are enemies of unity, at least two things, dissension and division. Titus 3, 9 through 11, do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. So keep in mind, the early church was growing and they were ministering to non-Jews, the Gentiles, and you had people that had come from a Jewish background that were uh, Christian now that had, had accepted Christ. And so they're saying, well, I'm, I'm of the tribe of Judah. Well, I'm of this. I'm of that. Well, I, you know, had this Jewish law teacher. And, 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 and so Paul is telling Titus, don't get caught up in all that or in quarrels or fights about obedience to the Jewish laws. As we talked about a few weeks ago, Paul was, was teaching and he ran across some Jewish Christians and they're like, oh, well, the Gentiles, the non-Jews have to be circumcised to be a follower of Christ. And Paul's like, no, they don't. They need to receive Christ. And it's evident that they have received Christ in their life by how they're living. And these, these, these others were like, they were adamant. No, they, they have to be circumcised. So Paul went to the Jewish council in Jerusalem and, and met with the, the, uh, the apostles and church leaders. And he, and, and he said, well, what, do we, what do we tell these guys? These guys are telling them they have to be circumcised. So 
the, the apostles and, and the leaders of the early church got together and said, no, they don't have to be circumcised. There are four, there are four things. <laughs> My finger's not working properly. There are four things that they need to do. They need to abstain from sexual immorality. Okay? Tell these new Christians they need to abstain from sexual immorality. They need to refrain from eating uh, food, sacrifice idols. They need to not eat uh, food or meat from animals that were strangled. And they need to refrain from eating or drinking blood. Those are the four things they need to do. They need to focus on their relationship with the Lord. Now, I was thinking about this this morning, and I thought, it's kind of weird. Those are kind of weird things. Don't eat any meat from an animal that's been strangled. I'm like, I wonder why that is. But I don't know. Maybe when you strangle an animal, it releases toxins or something, you know, that goes into their system, and maybe it makes it unhealthy to eat. I don't know. But that's what they came up with. And, and so they went back and they, they told the believers and these that were causing dissension and division, they said, okay, these are the four things that they need to do. Um, he goes on to write to Titus, these things are useless and a waste of time, arguing about spiritual pedigrees and quarrels and fights about obedience to the Jewish laws. He goes on to say, if people are causing divisions among you, give them a first and second warning. Okay, so if someone, if a believer is causing dissension and division, it's, here's, here's a, a, a place that we can go to to find out well, how do we deal with that. Okay, Susie, you're causing dissension and division. You need to stop that. Okay, Susie, uh, you're still calling, uh, causing dissension and division. You need to stop that. And let's look at the verse 10 continues. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. Well, I thought God was love. He is love. But he hates division and dissension, especially in the body of Christ. So it seems harsh, but the Lord is, he loves the church. He loves the body of Christ. And there are people that refuse to yield to the Lord. And you may know some people like that that just love to stir stuff up. They're just always, they're not happy unless they're stirring up dissension and division. I know because I've worked with some of those people in the workplace. I remember there were a couple of ladies and they, would, they were always just gossiping and talking about people and stirring stuff up. They just love to do that, I guess. I don't know. I don't understand why. But, but the results are disunity. Dissension and division cause disunity. And the problem is people's souls are affected. I remember a situation. There was a person in our church a number of years back, and uh, they were in a leadership position, and they were stepped down because of some character issues and some things that were happening in their life. And... Uh, they got upset, and they went and told some people that they weren't given a position of authority like they wanted. Um, and so, ultimately, they ended up leaving the church, and they, they spoke to some other people that left the church. But here's the thing. They didn't tell them all the story. They didn't tell them the reason they were stepped down. 
was for a character issue and a morality issue. They didn't tell him that. And I wonder, you know, um, what they're going to tell the Lord one day when they stand before him. And maybe he says, you know, these people left Life Fellowship because of what you told them. But you didn't tell them the whole truth. And I think if those people knew the whole truth, they would probably say, thank you, Pastor, for not allowing someone to stay in a position of leadership that, did, that, that shouldn't be there because of their moral issues or their character. And, and so it goes back to, you know, what I was saying earlier to some degree that we all get hurt, you know. We've all been hurt. And when, when you pour into somebody's life and you try to help them, and then they turn around and bite you and backstab you and talk about you. You're thinking, why, why would you do that? I'm, I'm doing this for your good, for your family. Imagine that you're driving your car and you've got a green light and you're just driving along and some knucklehead runs, not an orange light, but a red light. It's been red. And they smash into your car and then they get out and they say, look what you've done. Look what you've done here. Look at my car. And you'd be going, excuse me? You're the one that ran the red light here. So these are some of the dynamics that happen. And why am I telling you this? Because I see you all as ministers. I see you as leaders. I see us all going out and engaging with people. A friend of mine said, you, you know, you really have to be a Christian to deal with these Christians. They can be some of the most obstinate, difficult people to deal with, and we should be the easiest people to get along with, especially in the family of Christ. Remember our, our core values, love, prayer, obedience, humility, teachability, unity, and service? Are those just words? Or are those characteristics that we demonstrate in our life? Are we humble? Are we teachable? Are we able to be taught? Are we able to teach? Because we're trained and equipped. This unity is a problem because it can impact people's souls. People can, you know, hear something about a church or a pastor or whatever and say, well, I'm not going back to church again or I'm not, I, you know. And, and one day... Whoever led them astray, I think, will be held accountable. Do you know, because you said those things about that church or whatever, these people stopped going to church and it impacted their eternal salvation? Do we want to be responsible for that? And think about my role as a pastor. Um, I stand before the Lord and the Lord says, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow a Jezebel spirit in, in the congregation? Why did you tolerate that? Why did you allow this to happen? Well, well Lord, I, you know, I, I, I didn't really want to hurt their feelings, and I really don't like confrontation. I really didn't want to deal with it. You know, dealing with the Jezebel spirit is difficult. You think that's going to fly with the Lord? <laughs> so we all have a responsibility for the Lord. You know, I've shared with you, I think it's Hebrews 13, 13, 17, obey your spiritual leaders for they look out for your soul. They will be accountable to God. One day I'm going to stand before the Lord and I'm going to be accountable. I take that really seriously. And the thing is, if someone is out of bounds, if someone needs some help, 
We need to help them for their own good. Look at what Jesus did. He didn't kick Peter to the curb. He brought him in. He restored him back. And there's a restoration process for people that fail in ministry. First, you sit them down. Get them out of ministry. Let them get some counseling. Let them get healthy and healed. You don't want them infecting other people. But the problem is some people don't want to go through the process. They really don't want to be healed. They really don't want to yield to the Lord. That's the problem. So how do we deal with those things? Let's read on. 1 Corinthians 1.10 I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. The Word says, live at, live at peace with, with everybody as much as depends upon you. You know, we had a neighbor that I think he was possessed. I mean, we tried to live peacefully with him, but he did not want to live in peace. And you cannot make someone want to live in peace. But you do everything that you can, as much as you can, to live in peace and harmony. And if, if they don't want to live in peace and harmony, well then, you know, there's not much you can do about that. Pray for them. He goes on to write, Let there be no divisions in the church. These letters, remember these letters that are written to Timothy and to Titus and to the Corinthians, are written, written to the church And he says, let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Have the mind of Christ. Christ is the head of the body, the church. So the church needs to have his mind. We need to be acting and responding and yielding to the Lord, allowing Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Philippians 2.2 Then make me truly happy, Paul's writing, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Agree wholeheartedly with one another. Come on, man. We're in unity. We're moving forward. We have a purpose and a plan to grow. We're growing in our faith and in our relationship, in the Word of God. And then we're reaching other people, teaching and training them how to love and how to deal with these things. And Paul goes on to write, love one another. Work, working together. Having one mind and purpose. 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Listen, we don't know what it's like to walk in their shoes. Can we be a little sympathetic? Do we ever do knucklehead things and say, hey, I'm sorry, can you be a little sympathetic here? Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Prefer one another, support one another. My third point is deal honestly with one another in love. Matthew 18 gives us some insight on how how we're to deal with conflict. If another believer, okay, we're talking about believers specifically, but I think this this can apply to others. 
<coughs> excuse me, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. You don't go tell everybody in the church or everybody else, and then it gets back to them, oh, well, you're offended? Why didn't you come talk to me? If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Sometimes we need a moderator. Okay, rarely is one person 100% right or 100% wrong. And so sometimes you have a council, you know, you have some other people there and you're like, okay, well, well, Jack, when you did this, maybe that caused Jackie to feel this way. Did you ever think about that perspective? Or Jackie, when you did this, maybe it caused Jack to feel that way. And so you take two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Bring it to some spiritual leaders and say, look, you know, we're at this crossroad here. But here's the thing that we are not to do. You know, it started off by saying, if you've got a problem with someone, go to them privately. Because this is what can happen. I've seen this happen numerous times. Where Jack has a problem with Jackie. Jackie goes to Jacqueline and tells her about the issue. And then Jack and Jackie get their relationship restored. But Jacqueline still has an offense against Jack. Because there's not grace for Jacqueline. She was never supposed to be in that mix. And so that's why Jack and Jackie, they come to the Lord and the Lord heals their relationship. But Jacqueline will probably always be on the outside. And so that's why the Word says, look, if you've got a problem, go to that person. This is how we're supposed to deal with conflict in the church, any conflict in the church. And think about how many uh, conflicts could be resolved if people would just have a conversation. And just say, hey, you know what? I'm upset about what you said. Oh, well, you shouldn't be upset. It was the truth. You know, are we humble? Can we take correction? Can we, are we teachable? Can we be mm, sympathetic? Because our perspective is our perspective. And of course it's right. <laughs> But maybe if we heard their perspective, maybe we would have a little more insight into what's going on. So this works outside the church, too. It's a principle. It's a truth. So if you're having problems in the workplace, I mean, you can deal with This is a way to deal with it. And so if someone comes to you and says, hey, look, i got a problem with Sue. And stop. Alto. Stop in the name of love. Go talk to Sue. I don't want you dumping your trash into my trash can. You go talk to Sue. All right? Go deal with that. So prefer one another. Let's really prefer one another. Support one another. You're you're talking about who? Huh? No, no, no. I don't want to hear that. She's, She's my sister. She goes to my church. No, you don't talk about my sister like that. Uh, now, if you've got a problem with my sister, you go talk to her. But I don't want to hear that. Support one another. Deal honestly with one another in love. Can we be honest with one another? If not, maybe we really don't love one another with a deep affection. 
Pastor Don and I would we would have truth telling sessions. Because we love one another enough to be honest with one another. And if you think about any relationship that you have that has great value, at some point in time there's been maybe a little rub, maybe a little conflict, and you make that decision, you know what, this relationship is worth it. So let's talk about it. And so Pastor Don and I, uh, there was one time where we had a, a, a conflict. Um, and I had a valid complaint. So I went to him. And he had what, what he said was a valid complaint. And when I, when I presented my case, he's like, okay, I didn't understand where you're coming from. I don't have anything to say. <laughs> but there have been times when he's come to me and he said, hey, look, you know, I see this going on and uh, I want to talk to you about it. That's love. That's love. Oh, I see you destroying your own life, but, you know, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to say anything because, you know. Well, thank you. Thank you for not loving me enough to speak honestly into my life. These are the kinds of relationships, the level of relationships that we need to have in the body of Christ, that we can love one another. So we've looked at some things here. Deal honestly with one another in love. Not use it as an opportunity to get back at them or manipulate them or use them or abuse them. That's not love. This, this love thing is life-changing. I really love the love in this house. And I think that we are extremely blessed and uh, I'm really thankful because I don't know that every Christian, I don't know that every church experiences what we get to experience on a regular basis where there's true, genuine love. And let me tell you, you know there's nobody perfect in this room. None of us. But we love one another, and we can be sympathetic, and we can be gracious toward one another because we need it sometimes too.